to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Henrik Schwarz. The German producer's roots are in-house, but it didn't take him long to look beyond the sound for inspiration. Soon after a life-changing experience at a classical music concert, he started incorporating orchestral elements into his beats, becoming one of the key artists bridging those two worlds. But he's also made some of the biggest house tracks of the last decade for key labels like Innovisions, Running Back and Mule Music. Ahead of the release of his latest album, Scripted Orchestra, we invited Schwarz to RA's Berlin office for a chat about his career so far. In conversation with Matt Unicomb, he looks back at his formative years as a resident DJ in Southern Germany and his ongoing fascination with the classical sound. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. The exchange with Henrik Schwarz is up next. for you then because um, I can imagine you're pretty busy I'm pretty busy but I spend more and more time working on the right balance I am busy yes but I'm also trying to to create free space that is since in within the last two years I'm working more and more on that because I think when you have space then there's room to create something and uh, so I, I take a lot of care about that and uh, in a way yeah the Thursday might be a day where I'm open to do new things and uh, yeah like today so did something happen two years ago? Like, was that the busiest point in your life? It made you think like, oh, I need to get a better balance? Yes. I mean, this uh, orchestra stuff I was working on was pretty intense. I had to learn a lot that I didn't know. And at some point I found out, yeah, but when you're traveling so much, this is not going to work out because it's it's getting too much. And, and then you take it takes too long to recover from the weekend. And uh, so I need to stay home. If I really want to do this... I need to take care and, and make room because otherwise I'm going to go crazy. I guess and, the thing yeah. for you is that you can have a real life in music after DJing, you know? So, like, uh, yeah. it's especially important for you to stay balanced, maybe. You're doing a lot of stuff next to electronic music. You can do that till you're 80 years old. Uh, you know? I hope so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's see. Yeah, Let's see where it's going. But I definitely realized that the DJ stuff and the touring, they take over everything easily and, and then there's nothing left. So at some point I really decided, it, it has been a conscious decision to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to do less gigs to have room to create. And, and because I realized that's something 
I want to do. It's it's very important for me. Otherwise, I just don't find the time to, to do new things and, and then it gets boring. How much were you playing at your busiest? I mean, I think I never took it to the levels of that other people do. It's hard to say because there's, yeah, there has always, since a few years, there has always been the, the live stuff and the electronic stuff and then also like experimental things I, w I was doing with, with Bouguer or something, but I, I actually never counted how, how much it was. So. Yeah, I guess because for you it's a full week. You have clubs on the weekend and yeah. then ballets during the week. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was thinking about your situation and you don't DJ. And in a way that frees up a lot of your time for your own music. Like you're lucky that you don't need to be looking for new music to play out. I mean, I, I don't have to listen to promos, yes, <laughs> but still I'm listening to many, many things that I discover and that I'm interested in. I mean, yeah, so for example, for the last five years, I just started a new project, but I had to listen to 700 string quartets for the last five years. So so five years ago, I decided I want to I wanna go through that. And then I collected stuff I wanted to listen to and I asked people, so what what should I listen to? And that was actually work in a way, like listening to promos. You listen, you listen, you listen, and trying to find that one thing. So how is it when you're listening to classical music? Because for me, for example, I don't know so much about it. I've been to orchestras, and it got me thinking, like, if you're a classical music head, do you skip through tracks to find what you like? I actually can skip because... Um, there might be just those few four bars I was looking for. And and as this music changes so much all the time, if I skip, I might miss it. I mean, when I started all that, I, I had no clue about classical music too. And uh, I just thought, yeah, I went to concerts and there were a few things that I really liked. So I thought, okay, so where, how can I find out more about that? And so you listen to many, many things. And it's the same with when you listen to electronic music. There might be... 90% that you don't like. And you're like, this is so much work to go through all this. But then you find that one thing that just changes your life again. And so it's worth the struggle. It's, I think it's the same in classical music as in any other music. So. so what was it that drew you to classical music? Like, what does classical music have for you that electronic music doesn't? I wouldn't say there's anything in there that electronic music doesn't have, but I just... I went to a few concerts out of interest. So there was one that especially got me, and uh, that was uh, the cello concerto of uh, Witold Lutoslavsky. I had no clue who this guy was, and I just ended up being there in the concert hall. And and usually in those classical concerts, in, in those evenings, they play a hit for everyone, and then they play something that everyone knows, and then in the middle of the two they play something freaked out. And the cello concerto, it starts with just a cello playing one note for two minutes. And I was freaking out because I, I have never heard anything like that. And, and then there's this crazy line. It sounds like an acid uh, bass line. Um, and then again, you have that pulse that goes on. I was shocked. And so through that, I I went home and I investigated what was going on. And then I read about this guy who was doing random stuff into into the sheet music and, and also worked with math to write his stuff. And that was so inspiring to do what I was doing that I thought, so there must be more. And that's how it started. So so And then I listened to, yeah, Ligeti Atmospheres, that's also something where I went to the concert hall and then I had, you have this kind of 3D visual sculpture 
above the orchestra that seems to be there just from the sound. So this is something I didn't know from electronic music. It was super impressive and there's so much you can take from, from the inspiration you get. It's amazing, isn't it? Like I say that I had like a similar like experience where I just thought it was so powerful. I went to see this Christian Yardavi guy, Estonian slash American yeah. composer. I could really see the similarities with dance music. There are these moments where you think it can't get any better and then they add something really beautiful. Like for example, yeah. this part is like some really euphoric string section. You think like, wow, this is incredible. And then some voices come in. Yeah. And I was scared to look around because like, it was so touching. Yeah. Like I can, yeah. Yeah. It's really amazing. You look in someone's eyes and then you start crying. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just, yeah. It's crazy to think that this has been going on for hundreds of years. It's It really felt like this real ritual. I've been in, in a few concert halls now during the last couple of years. I was working with these people and I'm also thinking about, so where are the similarities? And at some point I also thought, well, they are music freaks like we are. And it's really about exactly what you just said. You go there to freak out, but somehow the, the classical music world has lost the connection to, to, to people like us. Yeah, because you, you have no clue what you want to listen to. And then you go to a concert and you don't like it. You go to another one, you don't like it. And you, then you stay home. The door needs to be opened in another way. Well, that's what you're helping with. I'm not sure because, um, well, everyone calls this classical music in a way, but I'm in no way connected to classical music. So I'm just using an orchestra. I think that's very different from this whole, yeah, this whole world. Like they are, it's something else. And I'm coming from a totally different background also. So this is... Yeah, there's so much overlapping, and especially when it comes to the discussion. So how, how do these worlds work together? This doesn't work. But for me, it's... Yeah, the classical music is difficult, also for me. Yeah. Mm. After this experience I had, I was thinking, like, what are the actual similarities? And I guess the big thing is that, first of all, you need patience. Like, to listen to a classical piece, it's 20 minutes or longer. Yeah. yeah. Similar with the techno track. A lot of it is without lyrics. I guess maybe that's where the similarities stop. For me, it's something else. For me, it's about being a music enthusiast. As you said, you went to a concert hall. If you hear, if you hear the right classical piece, you're going to freak out in the same way when you hear a techno piece. And so it's about being a music lover. And I would also say that if you take a, like a classical music listener and give him the right techno track, it will be the same thing because it's, it's about sound in the end and how how it touches you and also the fact that you need to be an open person that wants to be affected by music and uh, wants to be changed maybe by music. And that's the experience I had with many of these musicians and classical audience. They come to be inspired and uh, I think that's where uh, I see a similarity. It's being a music fan. They're seeking these powerful experiences. Yeah. It's not, they're just not listening on the radio to some pop song. Yeah. It's like they want to be deeply moved. Yeah. You, you put yourself in a music situation uh, to experience something. So is there a techno track you could show a classical music fan? Is there one that comes to mind? If you met the, the biggest classical musical nerd and you said, what track could you show someone? Uh, I think it's very dependent on taste. I mean, I would, I would need to know, so what is the classical music you like? And what is it? Then I could think from a DJ perspective, what is the techno I would play them? I don't know yet. Uh, I haven't thought about it. I mean, there's many people who, yeah, they, they love classical music that I don't like. It's difficult for me to, to play them some techno, but there might be some 
classical stuff that they like and me too. So there might be a chance to find something that they find interesting too. You mentioned that you had to learn a lot about classical music. About music in general, yeah. Because you, yeah, you were never really trained in music before. No. That's pretty impressive. The fact that, yeah, you've become one of the most musical producers around without that formal training. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that many of us started from that perspective. I think for me it was the same. I had a huge love for music, but for some strange reason I just never learned an instrument, which is weird. And I see that from now. I wonder how, how could it happen. And I think many people in the electronic world they are people who love music and then, then you start collecting records and then you might start becoming a DJ and then then maybe you become a producer and then after a while you, you, you maybe play live and, and then you play live with musicians. I mean, that's how it went for me. And so I got a lot of support from Buge Wesseltoft, for example, or Kahil Elzebar that I was playing with. They, they were the first real musicians that I was working with and, and, and they were saying, man, this is cool. And I thought, what do you mean? Yeah, the way you play the laptop. And, and so I got a bit more confident because I would have never dared to, to play with them. But they were saying, that's interesting, like, go on. Yeah, and so from there, you, when there's more musicians coming, then you, you have to learn. I mean, until that moment, I did everything by ear. And so like finding a chord might take three days. And then you come to a point where you're just too slow. And this is something I don't like. So I had to, I had to sit down and, and learn. I learned now for five years and I think I learned a lot. And that's good. It feels good. Also, when I started, it felt like ah, I should have done that way earlier. I did it because I had to. But when I started, I thought, oh, yes, it's actually not that difficult. Because I always had thought this is all this music stuff is like the theory thing. It's so difficult, but it's not. There's a few things, a few tricks, but... but um, I think it was worth it. Did you take lessons or you did it alone? I took piano lessons, yes, and, and also theory lessons. I read like a lot of books about uh, instrumentation and like everything I could get. And I listened to a lot, of course. And um, yeah, so that's what I did. It's impressive. Do you have many people asking you for classical music recommendations? I guess lots of people listening to this maybe like have some yeah. of small interest in it but don't really know where to start. Take me, for example, like Ricardo Villalobos, old US house music. What, where could I start? <laughs> Maybe similar stuff that I enjoyed. I don't know, because I come from a techno background and, and I was attracted by, yeah, by, by Lutoslavsky, for example. It's, that's very, pretty difficult already. So it's, but but uh, there's these radical moments in there that I really liked. And then there, I mean, for me, the, the most inspiring one is, is Ravel. Everyone might know the Bolero, which is a bit, yeah, it's a hit record, yeah, but uh, but once you start investigating, it's a, an incredibly radical composition. And, and then you, I listened to so much Ravel during the last few years, and there's, there's so much that I, I can't believe how great it is. The harmonies and how he builds stuff, it's... Um, Something else. It's so, the harmonies, in it, isn't it, that's amazing. These harmonies are so amazing Yeah, when they get it right. Um, 
But yeah, but also the sound, it's revolutionary in a way. And that's why it's inspiring. And it's not so difficult to access. And then when you get go later than that, so maybe this is a recommendation, I would say. Anything between 1900 and 1950 is maybe a way to start because the, that's where the music was very developed, very modern from our perspective, and not too far out. Because after... After World War II, it got a bit out of hand, I would say. <laughs> Difficult to access and, and also from my perspective, they, that's when, the, when it actually they broke up with their audience or they, that's where they lost us. And, uh, and that's why it seems maybe so, too difficult, so difficult now to get in again because you, you, you listen to these things and you're like, oh, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's all about finding the right thing for you. The door opener. Yeah. yeah. So Stravinsky, of course, I mean, if you, if you listen to Sacre, that's techno. It's, it's pure techno. And if you listen to it in the concert hall, then it's even easier to access because that's different from a recording, but it's very close to, to what we love. And, and, and Mahler, too, very physical, very... Yeah, that's a lot. Can you still listen to straight house and techno? Do you still get a oh, yeah. joy from it? Totally. Yeah, I couldn't do what I do if I if I wouldn't. For me, it's all about, how do you say that? It's about the range. So you start here and you go to there. And, and so depending on your range, yeah, that's your perspective on life, I would say. But I read your beginnings were in hip hop. Yes. That's, yeah. that's where, that was the first music that I actually wanted to buy. Yeah. I was raised in South Germany and we had a really cool radio station from, from Switzerland that, that I always listened to Friday nights. They were playing the, the, the freshest hip hop and I was very, I was blown away for the, for the first time. I mean, even before I was a, like a fan of funk and soul and stuff like that. But yeah, then when these hip hop things with the samples of funk and soul arrived, these guys like being really angry and girls also. Uh, I like that, but there was no at that time you couldn't get vinyl or anything because it it didn't it was it wasn't available. So so I went to uh, Zurich for example to So when did you move to Berlin? 1999. A long time now. Quite a while ago, yeah. Did you know anyone here before you moved? No. Well, I guess it's very different uh from the south. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very different. Uh but I was super happy when I arrived because I uh, immediately felt that's actually the place uh, where I should be. So it felt very right uh, to be here. Yeah. And were you DJing in the South before you moved? Yes, quite a lot. I was a local resident DJ in, in uh, a few clubs down there. And uh, I had never thought that this I would be a music professional at any point. I thought, okay, so I'm, I'm this resident, that's cool. And we had a few international guest DJs coming. But I had thought, that's going to be, it's going to be over very soon. So I thought I was too late to to be part of that. And that was, I don't know, 97. The 90s, yeah. Yeah. So 97, I thought it was, it's going to go for another two years. And I had been lucky because I was a, a local resident DJ because that I had a great time. And I played with great people uh, or I warmed up for great people. And I enjoyed that a lot. So, yeah. So when was your last DJ set? Very long time ago. And you don't miss it at all, I... I enjoyed it a lot doing it. I'm pretty sure I would still enjoy it. But at some point I 
when I went into playing live and producing and I just, there was also a time when I played live and even DJed after that. But then I found out I, it, I don't have enough time. I can't, I can't handle both because you have to, you have to be after the new th stuff. If you're a DJ, you, yeah, you have to listen to all these things and you spend a lot of time doing that if you want to do it right. I decided I want to, I want to produce and that needed also a lot of time and I was working also in my normal job. What was your normal job? I, I studied graphic design. That's also how I came to Berlin. So I came to be a designer, not be a musician. It's like Ben Clock, wasn't he also a graphic designer? Oh yeah. Ben, yeah was he? So. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few of you guys around. Yeah. So when did you quit work full time? On a Friday at the airport when a customer called me and I was on my way to a gig. And so the customer called me and said, ah, oh, can you change that headline from red to green or something? Man, I'm at the airport. I, I can't. It was a difficult situation because it was about printing some. I don't. I don't remember what it was, but, but I wanted to do my job well. So I realized this is not gonna, this is not gonna go on like that. Doing both is just not gonna work. And uh, I said, okay, let's try if this music thing is going to go on. It did. So yeah. Was there a difficult period in between quitting work? I don't know. Were you already playing a lot? I was playing enough when I quit. That was all right. But there was a difficult period before that. So when I, at some point, I quit my employed work and I got self-employed to be a self-employed graphic designer. That was pretty tough in the first few months. Yeah. So, but when I started playing, it was actually all right. It, it, everything was cool. Yeah. And so what year was that? I think that must be something like 2002. So I guess you now you've been a full-time musician for longer than you were a graphic designer? Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Who were you friends with in Berlin when you moved here? What kind of things would you go to? I think for the first two, three years, I was only working. I was doing nothing else than that. Yeah, we started 11 and we finished 12 or 14 hours later. It was... I came here for all this new economy madness. Yeah, we built websites for for big brands and, and also, yeah, it was all new. And uh, it was pretty exciting to, to be part of that. It was really cool. And uh, But we were working our asses off, so there was nothing else. And and so, yeah, my friends were my colleagues at that time. It's it's uh, I didn't see much of Berlin. You know. <laughs> Do you miss having this regular life, going to an office? No, not at all. It's depending on what you do. I think when you like what you do, you it's it's all right. Yeah, take care of that. You do some something you enjoy, and then I think the, the situation is not so important anymore. In the early days of your house and techno, was there ever a time where just electronic, four-to-the-floor house music was enough for you? Or did the kind of desire to experiment come with time? It was maybe the other way around, because I was... I was listening to a lot of jazz and because from the hip-hop background I was investigating the samples and all these things and uh, they were playing techno on Tuesdays and I was playing my jazz dance night on Wednesdays as we were in just the club was pretty small and we were all like some kind of a family so I also went there on a Tuesday and I also went on Saturdays uh, just to be there and and investigate what's going on. So they played this techno stuff on Tuesday and I was there and I, I didn't get it. I I was attracted by it, but I just couldn't get behind what was going on. And I thought, this is so far away from what I like. 
Yeah, because I'm, I like these like chord changes and this very complicated jazz stuff. But still I went because there was something that I wanted to find out. And then we had Jeff Mills coming to play on a Tuesday and, and he played and that's that was the moment when it clicked for me when I was, I was thinking, yeah, but this is jazz too. The way he did it was so free and open and uh, yeah, I, I immediately stopped everything else and dived into that. I wanted to, yeah, I was I was totally blown away that suddenly I had found out how it worked. Uh, I found the key into that world and, and I realized, okay, this is actually, that's the way I should go in this music. And this is maybe the thing I was always looking for, to get this open space that or something that showed me like this, this huge world or possibilities and that was all in, in electronic music for me and also the fact that I thought this is something I can do myself this is for the first time I thought now I can make music too this is also something I found very interesting because I always wanted but then if, if you have no idea and then you, you touch the, the keys of piano and you're like hmm I get some nice sounds but then the next combination I try just sounds shit and it has no connection to the one before so so how does it work but with techno and drum machines so I started to experiment on a nine first uh nope it was a Alesis HR16 I don't know yeah it was very it was easy and as I had never thought that anyone would ever listen to this stuff it was super easy too. It started as a hobby. I guess that's like that with a lot of people. It starts off as a thing that you don't take so seriously. Yeah. Yeah, you never think you're going to do a career, make a career from it. Yeah, you start by playing around. So how long until you were making music that you were happy to show people? Very long. Released my first record in 2002. Mood Music. It's a good record. Yeah. If, if I hadn't met Sasse, I mean, I played this from a CD, my own stuff, when I was DJing before him because I was warming up for him and uh, I only had one CD because that was a very expensive thing at that time. So I had burned one CD with my music on it and then I played one of the tracks. Yeah, Zasse came to me after the night and he said, what was this one track you played? And I said, ah, oh, nothing, it's... Um and he said, yeah, but you had, to, you had it on CD. And I said, yeah, this is, it's my CD. So he said, give it to me. <laughs> so I was thinking, was this was only this one CD I had. But I gave it to him, yeah, and he released it a while later. Oh. It was the A-side. Wow, so even then, it took someone asking you. It's not like you were showing your music no, no, to no. everyone. No, I was super shy in showing my stuff to other people. Did it get a good reaction when you played it at parties? I can't remember because I was so uh, excited about so, playing it. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I don't know. Yeah. Even your early tracks, they were very musical and melodic. I guess that's your style. Yeah. Some people hear something like a style. I, I can't hear it myself. They'll say that sometimes to me. I can hear your whatever signature. I'm like, okay, I can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you so, tell me what it is? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How does it work? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. How was it in 2002? If you put out a record, do you then get gigs from that? Is it like now? Giles Peterson played it in his show. And on the next day, I had a booker and I had gigs. So I went to the UK and that was such a... I couldn't believe it. I went to London to, to play. I was freaking out. And, and from there, it kind of went on. It, it actually, yeah. Once I started, it, 
it didn't stop. I guess you were working full time when this yeah. was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you tell your colleagues what you were doing on the weekends? No, because it wasn't. I mean, I didn't know if this would go somewhere or yeah. It's like everyone's dream. <laughs> yeah. To have this experience. Yeah. <laughs> it was a dream. Also for me, it was me and my friends. We were always making jokes about that. Ah, and then you know, one day we're gonna release a record, and everybody was laughing. Yeah, uh, because. It was meant as a joke. And, and then suddenly you have the first 12 inch in your hand. It's really, you don't forget that. I guess the difference between those years and now is that you'd already been DJing for years and years. Yeah. You knew how to mix well. You knew how to play at a party. Yeah. Where now you can put out a record, have 10 gigs, and you've never played anywhere outside your bedroom before. Yeah, that's so, possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that was one advantage that you had. You'd already been a resident for so many years. So going to play in London, even though it was scary, you still knew how to mix and you still knew yeah, how to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically, I could do it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When did you meet Dixon and these kind of guys? Because this was also a, yeah. a huge thing for you, the Innovisions connection. I think we, we played a... I didn't know Dixon from, in, from Berlin. I think we played a party in London again. So we went to the airport on the next day in a bus... And so there was this guy sitting next to me in the bus. And so I said, hey, who are you? And so it turned out to be Dixon. And uh, we were on the way to the, I think we were on the way to the airport. And so we started talking and there was some kind of connection. I think on that car ride, we decided we're going to meet again and, and see if there's more. Yeah, so we did. And a few weeks, so we started to work on a track. At some point, uh, Stefan said, hey, I think we could bring some other friends of mine in and... Uh, and that's when uh, Frank and Christian came in, <laughs> and that's when we when we did uh, where we at, and so that that one was pretty successful for all of us, and uh, and so we thought, ah, oh, this may be a good a good combination. Do it again. Yeah, we should we should yeah. And from there we were kind of seen as a we we just played a lot together from that uh, after the, the release of that record. So when did you decide to? totally focus on live sets? I don't know. <laughs> I think it just it got less and less with the DJing because I, I kind of, I was still doing it because I liked it, but it still got less. And, and then at some point I got more requests for, for playing live. And then, yeah, sometimes when I realize, okay, it's better to, to spend all the energy on one thing or, or when I realize it's too much, um, to do both things well. And I, I realized I, I don't f have enough time anymore to to listen to things. And then when you have other people like play the interesting stuff and they're like, oh, I didn't hear that one. And uh, I know that your live show is also pretty versatile. I was reading that you can essentially play any piece of your music. Yes. Whenever you, yeah. I can do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, like uh, it gives you a lot of freedom. Yes. You know, lots yeah. of people kind of, do the same thing I think every it, weekend. Yeah, yeah. I think for me it would get boring. It's also important for me to keep it fresh. My file, it, it, it grows and grows and grows. And uh, I, I, there's still everything in there um, from day one. And I find it very interesting to, to be able to jump. It's like carrying a huge box of records with me. And, and then I can even tweak them in any direction. And so sometimes it's fun to just press play in some random position and see what's happening and then play around with this kind of random accident and see if because that keeps the energy high and I think that's very important if you 
if you play live. So. You can also adapt to the situation so much easier. Yeah, it feels like not so many live performers can do that. Do you get to see many other DJs or many DJs play, many other live sets? Yeah, sure. There's always people before and after me that I that I might listen to or if I'm at a festival and there's someone that I that I like, I go there and, and listen and, yeah. And do you like what you hear these days? Probably getting less, um, really? but I don't know if that's me or if that's them or what it is. Of course, everything had, has changed quite a lot, but still there's there's many times when you get surprised and, and that's what it's about. So what are the big changes that you see? It got very, very, very professional. Uh, so when I started there... Uh, Nobody was talking about sound systems because uh, we were happy when there was when it was loud. So, yeah, so you didn't really care about the quality. And I even wonder sometimes how did how did it work? Because there was there was a lot of really bad ones. And uh, but that didn't it actually didn't make a difference. I like that, especially the sound is on a very high level now. Well, sometimes yeah, it gets it gets a little bit too much control, yeah. Because um, for me, it's always about freedom, and so if if everything is very formatted and under control, this is not the situation I I, I see this music in. So um, you mean like uh, security guards and uh, fences, or you mean like, okay, Henrik, your bus is at ten o'clock. You play at ten thirty. That's also fine, I think, because that's that's the professional part of it. And also the security people are very important because they they protect. You can freak out in an area that is protected. So that's important. Yeah, so there but to create this open space where unexpected things can happen. So this it's more about that. And this is maybe what is getting a bit less because you kind of if you are a successful festival, you want to deliver. And that's the same for I think it's the same for many uh, successful DJs. They they need to deliver even. That's their job. I like when there's also something unexpected. And they can deliver because it is their job. But you would actually look for something unexpected. So as this is so professional, maybe there's not so many unexpected things happening. Yeah, I wonder where you find that now. Because I know exactly what you mean. I guess DJs are so scared of messing up a mix or losing people on the dance floor. Yeah, there's a lot of competition also. But I think with live acts, I can see that sometimes. That, that And at, at least I can say for me, for, and, and also when, when I play, I, I try to, to surprise myself because otherwise it's also boring for me. Yeah, I need to, and I hope that it's jumping into the audience too. So I think that that part is, is very important. I guess that's why you're able to play live so much. It's because you... Yeah, you emphasize this freedom because you can play anything. Yeah, I find that very important. So I put a lot of energy in preparation that the freedom is there and that that things work. Yeah, even if I do something unexpected or even I I put stuff into the the live sets so that I get surprised and I need to react. I think that's very important. Do you usually come away from your sets with a good feeling? Because you're taking it very seriously. So a few weeks ago... For the first time in, in since I do this, I was not happy while I was playing because all the stuff that happened before was such a disaster that I was on stage and I couldn't get rid of the, the bad thoughts, which I usually, it, I never experienced this before. 
And that was kind of impressive. So I, I was I was thinking about it a lot. How, how did it happen? Why was this so bad that I, I mean, I still I think I still played okay, but but it, I always had this thing in my head which I usually don't have. That was the only moment I can remember where where I thought, yeah, I'm not feeling right now. Yeah, because you seem pretty positive. I can't imagine you being upset. It's pretty difficult to <laughs> yeah. to get me in a bad mood. Yeah, yeah. It's not when things go wrong because that's yeah, it happens. Uh, it happens, yeah. yeah. But it's you know the way how this is handled. Yeah. And what about when you're producing music? Do you feel are you in a good mood when you're producing, or are you getting frustrated? Oh, I think there's a lot of frustration. Yeah, it's it's always a fight, and I mean that's the that's a bad thing about the knowledge. Once you know, it kind of it always also limits you. So yeah, there's also a big part in in reminding myself of the old days when I was just working by ear and uh, and do that again. I think that's very important to because there's a lot of there's a lot of frustration in if you know the rules, then there is something in your head that tells you, but this you can't do that now. Because it's wrong, but that's actually the important moment. Then you have to decide. Yeah, but I go by ear, like I always did. Because it goes back to the freedom thing, yeah, where exactly. something like these chords don't work. Yeah, but actually, yeah, maybe of it course. If I feel it's right, then it should be right, and and you should follow that instinct kind of thing. Um, yeah, when it works, I get excited. Of course, I think it's always a struggle to to get an idea in a way that you can hear it. That's the that's the difficult part. How can you how can you get it out of your head into into something that other people can hear? So yeah. So when you get a new project like the silent film or Berlin Ballet, yeah. are you using ideas that you've already had? Or you see something and then you'd use that as inspiration and create I mean, I'm collecting a lot of things, um, ideas, and uh, writing things down also. Um, so when when a new project comes, I don't go in there and I have an idea already. So I usually listen first to what's going on because I find it's important to make something that fits. And then it, it can be a tiny detail that makes something not fit. And so I rather start from scratch. Uh, but I might use an idea I already had or because then I, rem- I remember that there was this one thing I did. Maybe I can use it or maybe I can use parts of it. And yeah, like that. Do you have lots of recordings in your studio, like ideas for tracks? Thousands, yeah. Really? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Wow. 99% is crap, of course. <laughs> <laughs> maybe and, even more than that. Yeah. And do you test some things out with your live set? I do that quite a lot. I mean, that happens quite a lot in the in the, in the hotel room before the gig. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, there's this... One bass line, I just, I just play it quickly and I drop it into the live set and then at night I just try it out and I, I see if I can... I do that more and more now because um, I feel a bit more confident in playing stuff live, producing live on stage. That's also something that I, I like a lot. Sometimes it goes right and then you have something really strong because you kind of... Somehow the energy of the room goes into that recording and uh, or into the creation process uh, because you have you are so under pressure because you have to deliver in within seconds the whole process is very rough and I like that and so sometimes you get really strong results from that so you produce a track in real time and it takes only two minutes 
and that could can be a source for a new production because yeah and then and if it works i'm really happy because that's i think that's the best way of producing in a way because then you have that kind of switch the the, the brain off and just use the energy of the moment and and your fingers play something and and then you choose a sound and then you're like oh okay this is cool i've got a new track now <laughs> yeah you got a new track yeah 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 as you say this dance floor energy Yeah, it's somehow yeah. yeah there. It's like a spark. If you're lucky, you can, you can grab it. So that needs some training, yes. But yeah, immediately you realize this is something strong. I can use that, and that's really cool because. Uh, so when you're playing live, like, is it like DJing where you're thinking ahead, a few tracks, like you say, okay, they really like this melody now. Maybe in a few tracks, I'll put another something like this. Are you in the moment grabbing clips? Or you always have an idea about where you're going. I think I don't have enough brain power to to foresee. It happens pretty much often to me that I'm at the end of a track, and I don't know what I'm going to do next. But that's the DJ thing. Then the DJ brain switches on, and I'm like, okay, so what's next? And then I need to, yeah. And then I jump there. Uh, so that works pretty well, I think. Has it always been like that with your live sets? Because I can imagine it could be pretty scary to be up there, the tracks running out, you need a new... It actually got more difficult maybe three years ago. Something weird happened and it never got back to before. Around three years ago, I could remember every single clip in my whole live set and every track and every track name. And because I've sorted everything alphabetical, so I'm, I can access everything very quick. That's important. So I have shortcuts to go to all the tracks that start with P or whatever. And what happened, it got too much. So more track names than I could remember, even if it's my own stuff. <laughs> so what happens now sometimes, I know what I want to play, but I'm thinking about the track name and it doesn't come to my head. <laughs> so I'm on stage. And um, I know what I want to play, but I don't know the name. So <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> Somehow it got too much. Or maybe my brain power just <laughs> goes down. But that's also possible. I don't know. Before I was always, yeah, now this, now this, now this. And I have to, that still, now this, now this, now this, but I don't remember the name. <laughs> so. How do you have the clips named? Like uh, Fat Baseline 23? Oh, <laughs> well, it's 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 organized in tracks. Yeah, so I have the track name or the remix name, and then all the files that are that belong to that piece. They're all in the same kind of more or less position. So I I know if I, if I want that baseline, I have to jump there, and then then it says baseline. Yeah. <laughs> 